Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Certainly not in the Folk School Coffee Parlor, but he's with us anyway, Mr. Jerry. Hey guys. Hey Jerry. Everybody doing okay? Getting through this? Everybody's good. And by the way, uh, our listeners should know we're, we record these usually a couple together. So we're recording this on, and we're want to be transparent about this on November 10th. So the election uh, results are known, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won. And in our last episode, if you haven't listened to it, please go back in the archive, check it out. But we kind of celebrated that victory, their victory. And uh, so now it's a week later, and we have to admit, for all we know, the week later that this airs from when we recorded it, there could be new developments in this mess that uh, Trump people are making of, uh, you know, unprofessionally not uh, congratulating uh, Biden and Harris. But it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so we thought in this episode, we talk a little bit about the future. But I did want to mention something. I'll tell you this, Megan, the other day. So when there is an election and, and there I've been involved in a bunch of them. Jerry has run for office many times and usually successfully, by the way. And what do you tell a candidate? What do the so-called handlers tell a candidate about anything? What are Trump's people telling him? What counsel are they giving him? And it made me think of something. And Jerry, you know, the other day when we were talking, I said, I'm going to tell you something that's kind of significant to your Senate run in 1982 in the Democratic primary. Governor. Primary. Pardon me, Governor. Pardon Maybe me, Governor. that was the problem. No, you were no, telling no. people well, to vote for Jerry for the Senate <laughs> and I was voting for Governor. No wonder I lost. That would be uh, horrible. Yeah. And Jerry yeah. lost to the guy that became the Governor and very deservedly, uh, uh, Dick Celeste, and you know, big name in Democratic politics in Ohio. So Jerry ran against him and there was a third candidate and it was a very hard fought race. And Jerry's main guy, Mike Ford, God rest his soul, a dear friend of Jerry's and mine too. We love Mike Ford, died a few years back. Mike had this idea that was brilliant. It was in a primary, find the people you know are going to vote in a Democratic primary. And he measured that by finding the people who voted three times in a row. Because that's public record, right, Jerry? Yes. You can know yep. that. Yep. So Mike identified all those people and created this huge database in all 88 counties of Ohio. And then his idea was mail to them, because this was before social media and a lot of digital stuff, mail to them three times. Put the mailer like a formal letter put it into a full-size manila envelope. And Megan, his theory was, is that if you get a regular campaign piece of mail, he could quote the percentage, 60% of them, whatever it was, they get pitched. They don't even open them, just junk mail. So Mike said, let's try to fool the voters into opening them by sending them manila envelopes. And then he went farther, hand write in pen the name and the address hand right in the upper left-hand corner, the return address. Remember this, Jerry? Yes. It was really, really innovative. Yep. Looking back on it, I think he was as right today as he was back then for the time. Yep. 
So volunteers in 88 counties were filling out meticulously these envelopes and stacking them up, boxes of them. And then they would drop at the moment that Mike would say, drop them. And postage went on, et cetera. Mike called me after the election and I ran some counties for Jerry around the Ohio, pardon me, around the Cincinnati areas. I was involved in the campaign. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, the guy that ran Columbus, so that would be, I think that's what, Montgomery or Franklin? Franklin. One of those big counties. Franklin. Franklin. Huge county. And that guy left the campaign a day or two before. Of course, it pissed off Mike Ford, but they were able to finish up the election. They'd get out the vote. So he says, would you and Sue Cassidy, a friend of Jerry's and mine, now an attorney in Covington, Kentucky, will you go up and clear out the headquarters? We said, yes, Sue borrowed a pickup truck. We drive to Columbus. We go in. We got the key. We're now taking out, you know, couches and tables and putting them in the pickup truck to clear it out so that the landlord, you know, would would be happy the place was empty. I go into a back room. I open a door and I go, pardon my language, holy shit. Sue, come see this. We went in the back room and from floor to ceiling, there were boxes. I tore open a box or opened it, wasn't sealed. All of those envelopes were in all of those boxes. What? He never mailed them. (laughs) What? I told Jerry this on Saturday. (laughs) I said, Jerry, you ever hear this story? And he he did not know this. I can't believe. And Mike Ford told me when I found them, I called him right away. Got to oh a phone. I didn't have cell phones then. 1982. I don't think I did. I called Mike and I said, listen, I got to tell you this. This is what we found. And he went, oh, Jesus. No, Gene, don't tell Jerry. Because what purpose would it serve? It would so anger him. So 38 years later, <laughs> 38 yes. years later, my best friend is now telling me that Columbus, the <laughs> second largest county at the time in Ohio, never got a campaign letter from me. You mean I could there's have been a, governor? I could have been a contender. Now, 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 I could have now, been. Now, there's a question. Oh. That's and, and I thought you can't go to your grave. There's a new thing called radical transparency. People need to know oh. stuff, right, Megan? Man. Oh. No, Megan says, it's, no, don't tell him that. No, so, I'm I, you, did we ever have a, con- this year for a conversation Biden, where I, I said, someone. gee, how, how come we did so poorly in Columbus? I mean, that was a more <laughs> liberal area. We were supposed to do well there. And, oh, man. Unbelievable. Honestly, unbelievable. I swear to God, and until you told me Saturday, I, I, know, I never. Know. You never knew? Never knew. That's This is not and, and, show and business. I'm telling you, I never sh- knew. And what did it change the election? I don't know. Because I always was yelling at you because you were telling me you took the flyers and and, uh, slid them down the sewer. Uh, I did. Because there were football games on, college football games. Because, yeah, there were games on that Saturday and he didn't, you know, want to have to go door to door. So you just slid them down the sewer. Yeah, man. Um, but I was up front. I told you. Hey, uh, by the way, (laughs) all all kidding aside, uh, what... Are, are we, should we be worried, by the way, about, uh, again, November 10th is when we're doing this, and in a week maybe we'll know more, but are we worried, for example, Jerry, that um, Republican states that Biden won 
uh, take Georgia at the moment. He's winning. And, and by the way, as of today, is winning by a greater margin because Atlanta is coming in. And, and, you know, our votes are being counted late because they were early voters and mail-in yeah. ballots that are now being counted. Or should we be worried that Republicans, one way or another, by sending people to the Electoral College vote voting for who they think should have won versus who did win or any other uh, trickery? No. Are you, are you worried about that? No. Uh, look, they're going to try everything. The fact is, Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States, period. And there are several reasons for that. One is virtually none of those lawsuits are going to be successful and they're not going to be successful, which so far all the decisions have been coming down that way. Is because simply there has been no evidence presented of widespread fraud. The second issue, I mean, none. It's not like one person held a press conference. And believe me, if anybody found widespread fraud, it would be, you don't think for a second Trump's going to keep it to himself. No. So there's no and widespread. And they wouldn't announce it. And they wouldn't announce it at the Four Seasons Landscape Company. Exactly. They, okay. And secondly, even if they find some discrepancies in some county, even in some state, the win is so overwhelming. You can't, in a recount, for example, change in Pennsylvania 50,000 votes. You know, you were on the Board of Election for years. You know yeah. that, first of all, there's a Democrat and a Republican sitting there. When there is a recount, you know, maybe you switch 30 votes, maybe you switch 100 votes. Even yeah. if they switch to 1,000 in each of these states, Biden is winning by 20,000. 13,000, 50,000. It's not, so it's impossible. Okay. So that's not going to happen. And any other trickery, I got to say, the Supreme Court is not going to put up with it because now, because it wasn't a really close election, as it turned out, the, the uproar, the revolution, the, I mean, you can't at this point uh, uh, you know, throw out a whole election. I mean, there really would be revolution in the country. And they they know that. In fact, I think, and you will know more about it by the time people listen, but I even think the Supreme Court case on trying to do away with the uh, Affordable Care Act, I think basically the good guys are going to win on that. The Supreme Court is not going to do away with it. it. You know, in the middle of a pandemic, you're not going to say 20 million people, you've lost your insurance. So, Legal theories aside, no one is going to disrupt the country this much. The reason the Republicans are doing this, they, there are three levels, and they're doing it because in each case, it's putting self-interest before country. The uh, senators, McConnell is, is raising this issue because the only way McConnell keeps uh, the majority uh, leader of the Senate keeps that powerful position is if the Republicans can hold on to those two special elections in Georgia on January 5th. The way to make sure the Republicans don't lose those two races is to keep the Republicans energized, to keep them angry, yeah. to keep saying, oh my, the Democrats are trying to steal this from us. We've got to win Georgia. So that's McConnell's interest in keeping this fiction going. The Republican congressmen and other Republican speakers 
or, or politicians, they're sticking with Trump on this because he's going to start a pack and they want to win their elections two years from now or four years from now. And some of them may even think about running for president. And the last thing they want is to have Trump voters against them. So they'll go along with anything Trump says now because they don't want to lose his base, which is 70 million voters. And finally, Trump is for it. Trump knows he's not going to win. That's why he's out there playing golf. That's why he said to Pence, you can uh, uh, you can take a weekend off now in Florida. I mean, if they were really fighting this, you would be seeing Trump all over every day in meetings. It would be, you know, who's he send out there? Giuliani? I mean, it's embarrassing. So Trump wants to win because he's starting a pack. He wants to be relevant and he may be starting a TV network or uh, and he needs to have a base for that. He needs to have people if he starts a cable channel. He needs to have people contributing to it, to buying it for six dollars because he can then make his profit. And even now, when he's asking for money, if you read the fine print of the of the requests he's making for money now to fight this case in court, if you read the fine print, the money isn't going to to uh, fight the case. The money is going to a PAC. And who happens to be the head of the PAC? Donald Trump. The suckers that are giving money now, thinking that they're giving it to Trump's uh, legal fund to fight this election, is not going to that. The money first goes to the PAC that Trump can take that money for his personal use. That is what is happening now. It's disgusting. But no, it's no one's president. uh, Just to emphasize a point now I've mentioned in past podcasts, I used to be on a board of elections and our listeners should know this. This is uh, versions of this exists all in all 50 states of America. The balloting and the overseeing of the balloting and the camp counting of the votes are done in, in Ohio. All the 88 counties have a board of elections. The board of elections are two elected Democrats elected by their party two elected Republicans. All 88 counties have four board members equally balanced between uh, Democrats and Republicans. The director of the board of elections is of one party. The deputy director is of another party. So when Donald Trump goes on television or onto his Twitter account and says they are stealing this election, this vague term, they are stealing this election. In fact, his favorite way to say it, they're stealing it in the big cities. You know, they're stealing it in Philadelphia. There's corruption in Atlanta. They're screwing us in Detroit. That doesn't and cannot and, of course, should not happen because to rig an election in Cincinnati or Batavia, Ohio, means that Gene Galvin, a Democrat, has to stand by while Republicans steal it for them or vice versa. It's true in North Dakota. It's true in Delaware. It's true in Arizona. Absolutely right. You can't steal elections. That is bullshit. When you hear that, he is lying. So what's new? (laughs) Hey, 
<laughs> yeah, really. Hey, we're going to hear from uh, Willie T. Taylor uh, from California. A great, great singer-songwriter, a friend of this show. has been on a couple times before. We're going to bring Willie on in a few minutes. He's going to do uh, one of his new songs, and uh, Megan will uh, chat with Willie and introduce that. Uh, but before that, Jerry, uh, you have... I wanted to ask you something before you do your thought for the week, uh, which you always carefully mm -hmm. prepare, and we love those. The future of the Democratic Party, uh, there wasn't necessarily a blue wave where we took over. I think we still may take the Senate. You referenced it before. If we win two seats on that special election, was it January 5th in Georgia, we will then be balanced 50-50. And then Kamala Harris as the VP is the 51st vote. So we break the, she breaks the tie. Is the future of the Democratic Party uh, looking pretty good at the moment, do you think? What's your quick take on that? Um, I think it looks pretty good. Um, there's going to be a civil war to some extent within the Democratic Party uh, once Biden takes over. On the big issues, everyone will still be together. But I think there is a more liberal wing that uh, Bernie Sanders, et cetera, that'll probably want um more movement toward a liberal a platform than Biden, who tends to be a, a, a compromiser, and that's his strength. He's going to want to reach across the aisle. So I think there'll be some, in other words, I don't think every time we're going to get every Democrat voting the Democratic way in every, nor do we, will that be so in the Republican Party. So I think in the long run, the future of the Democratic Party is is bright because of demographics, because on every major issue in America, the more liberal point of view is the point of view most Americans want by 70 percent, 80 percent. They win on every substantive issue. It's just that politically, the way the system is set up, it's easier for Republicans to win than it is for Democrats, because you have two senators from every state. And most states are rural, so they get most of the senators, even though most Americans live in uh, in only nine states. I mean, think about it. Fifty percent of the American people live in only nine states, which means that they only get 18 senators and the rest of the country <laughs> gets, you know, the other uh, 82 they get 82 senators. That's the rural part. That's the Republican part. And Democrats who live in cities where most Americans live. 10% of America lives in California. So, and they have as many senators as Montana that doesn't even have a million, I don't think, you know. So, uh, but I think one last thing on that. The Republicans, in a sense, were helped by, by Trump being so horrible. And the way they were helped is that there were a lot of Republicans that just couldn't stomach Trump. But they didn't want to give up their party. They've been lifelong Republicans. So what they did is, okay, we won't vote for Trump, but we will vote for our local Republican congressman. So they could still feel good about being a Republican, and yet they can clear their conscience that they won't, you know, when it's time whether you go to heaven or hell, uh, you don't have to say you voted for Trump. So I think basically because Trump was so horrible, it helped 
some Republicans down ballot. I don't know if that's a common view, but it's my view that that's a way a Republican could feel like, okay, I didn't turn on my party. I just don't think he speaks for the party. You know, it's pretty cool if you picture a map of America and, and you picture one of those political maps color coded by either red or blue. If everything holds where they are here on November 10th, and let's say Democrats, in fact, win Georgia, hold Arizona, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, Colorado, the whole western side oh, yeah. of the country, the industrial northwest, down the seaboard, with the exception of probably North Carolina. Man, when you look at that map, the, there's a lot of blue there. Yeah. And we are now taking western states. And by the way, Montana... And, uh, you know, uh, Willie T, our musical guest, <laughs> I'd love to ask him this. In fact, Willie, if you're unmuted, jump in on this real fast, because one thing I'm curious about, and, and as a, an outdoorsman, and I've been to Montana a lot of times, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, California, Yosemite, Montana is drawing more and more people who are going into whether it's uh, Bismarck, Kalispell, Missoula, almost like it's Boulder, Colorado, or Aspen. Now, not quite that rich as like Aspen, but a lot of cool, uh, not cool is the wrong word, a lot of uh, progressive people, young people are moving into Montana, making it home. Artists. 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 And yeah. it's increasingly artists. adding Democrat votes. So Colorado is solid blue, in my opinion, politically. Yeah. I would be surprised if Montana goes yeah. there in time. You agree with that? I, absolutely. I think, uh, well, the part of California that I'm in, it's it's all farming. So the blue is a yeah. little sparse <laughs> around my territory. But um, it's still amazing that when you get up to places like Montana and you're finding even Idaho now, which is crazily red, there's a lot more artists just yeah. moving everywhere. And because it's, it, it's just an easy way to live, especially traveling. You can kind of be yeah. anywhere if you do something. So you want to go somewhere that's beautiful and fun and you can afford that's it. That's cool. <laughs> and that's kind of. All right. We're going to swing happens. back to Willie T in just a minute. Jerry, I wanted to ask you, uh, did you prepare some thoughts this week? Uh, the week after, maybe two yeah. weeks after November third, what's your what's your what thoughts yeah. uh, do you have for us? I wrote something down. Um, it's this: um, it wasn't a nail biter. Let's tell the truth. Biden won by almost five million votes. The electoral college win was clear too. But in terms of how American people voted, that's not really relevant. By actual votes, Trump lost big in twenty sixteen and by almost twice as much this time. Indeed, the only thing that made it seem close was the order in which the votes were being counted. Trump told his voters not to mail in their votes, but to vote in person. And since in-person votes were counted first, it looked like Trump had broken out into an early lead. But because of the pandemic and Trump's threats of intimidation at the polls in Democratic areas, Democrats voted heavily by mail. And those votes took days to open and be tabulated, a process that couldn't even begin in some states by law until the polls closed. 
But when those votes were revealed, with each new batch, Biden chipped into Trump's lead until he passed him, winning every state Hillary won, plus turning Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and amazingly Georgia as well. It wasn't a nail biter. America spoke convincingly. And yet, though I now rationally understand what was going on, on election night, I must admit that at the time I was losing faith. I was feeling down, depressed. I texted my nephew that I wasn't sure this was the America my parents told me it was. The Statue of Liberty was not a symbol of America, that the narrative of our country being a land of opportunity was just a PR campaign all along that everything mom and dad raised me to believe as we passed by Miss Liberty when we first arrived in America was a wish, not a reality. And maybe I really don't belong here. That is what I was feeling. You see, what is admittedly troubling is though Biden clearly won, there's still some 70 million Americans among us who were perfectly comfortable with America being represented and governed by a white supremacist, narcissist, mean-spirited, uncaring president. These are the same people who show up with their guns, waving Trump flags, giving the finger and F you to anyone who looked like a Biden supporter. And that's what it was feeling like, even in what I thought was a civilized community where I currently live. Well, I'm not leaving. Seeing Kamala Harris standing up there with Joe Biden, I saw the future of America. I saw the future of the Democratic Party, now clearly indebted to black women who carried Joe Biden to the nomination, thereby giving middle America a Democratic candidate it could vote for, and in fact did. The result of this effort is that President-elect Biden on day one of his presidency will end the Muslim ban, reinstate the Dreamers Act, whereby children of undocumented immigrants who came here as minors can now stay and have a path to full citizenship. He'll immediately rejoin the Paris Accords, the World Health Organization, his plan to take on the pandemic, which is killing a thousand Americans a day, which by the way, he's already started to implement while Trump plays golf and wines. This election of decency, winning over corruption, incompetence, and racism, with this victory, the momentary depression on election night has for me now passed. I had forgotten that the battle for America's vision is never ending. It's never we've got democracy game over. Democracy is always an experiment. It lasts only so long as we fight for it. Our victories are momentary and joyous as they were this election, but the next morning the battle begins again. Trump lost, but he's not going away. Neither are those who put self-interest before country or cult before America. Democracy is never a finished product. It's a process. Like life itself, it lives only so long as we give it oxygen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We could have an organ playing when I finish. Uh, <laughs> I heard that you know, swell of magic. Yep. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> You're nice, Willie T. That was beautiful, Jer. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Speaking Thank of you. Willie T, Thank he's you. back with us tonight. Welcome back, sir. Hey, hello, hello. So now tonight for the second show, you're going to be playing for Chickamauga. Chickamauga? Tell us about that name. Chickamauga. It's a, well, it's a, I just remember reading about this battle. It was a very bloody battle wasn't, in the Civil Yeah, wasn't War. it at a river? Yeah, the Chickamauga. Right, and that became blood red because if they just, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands oh, were wow. killed there. I, I forget the number, but it was like 36,000 on yeah, one I know. side. And like it was massive within like 48 yeah. hours or something. Wow. Yeah. But um, it just gives me that thought of um, these are children yeah. <laughs> dying, a lot of them, you know, and it's, yeah. And it, my, Nephew was going off to war. This was back when the war in Iraq started second time. This, and I was like, what the heck? He's just a little kid. <laughs> and then I thought, yeah. and then I, it just puts into perspective, especially in these times of the day now, like we can't have that anymore in our life. <laughs> like this has got to stop at some point. And it's, we're, we're just all humans that are beautiful and it's crazy that war is still a thing that's happening. Yep. Here, yep. here. Good for you. And David, do you have that um do you have that music ready for us to go? Ready to roll. All right, let's hear it. This is Willie T. Taylor with Chickamauga. I wrote this song uh thinking about my little nephew was going off to the Marines years back when the heavy shit was going down. And uh, he used to crawl all around me in his underwear, and he was just a little guy. And then he was off to war. So I thought about thought about him going and doing that, and all the other young men out doing it. And I was talking, I happened to be talking about the Civil War. So I I have this uh, song. It's called uh, Chickamauga, which was the River of Death. Soft as 
Ohio Your tears fell and mingled With the pouring down rain You were my first kiss My last kiss And hopped on that train All to D.C. Where the boys would go out fighting Little Sam and old Charlie Watson By my side we to be absorbed in all that glory we were too young and we were too swift to die storytelling is so beautiful and that, oh it's amazing that imagery that, with taking his boots and walk it just 
Oh, just mm. gorgeous. Uh, that's really good. Hey, Willie, where did you uh, video that yeah. for people on Facebook Live? You're seeing it. We'll put this up on our website. Where'd you shoot that? That was up in the Santa Cruz Mountains up in Boulder Creek. Very pretty. Wow. It's so beautiful up there, yeah. There's a fest called Dio Fest, and it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was, hey, Jerry. Yes. Isn't it, isn't it, you know, we've talked about this before, you and I, uh, are of an era where people like Noel Paul Stuckey, who was on our show a couple episodes ago, if you haven't seen, haven't heard that, uh, go back in the archive on that. That was really mm -hmm. good. But Willie T, it represents uh, another, and obviously another generation exactly. of folk singers. Yeah. Guys like Willie T are as good as anything I heard back then. Yeah. I mean, man, that's beautiful. Thank you. No, that's the no, truth, that is, dude. That is yeah. really And you good. guys know, uh, Jordan Smart, right? Yeah. He's been on the show. Yeah. yeah. Jordan yeah. Smart is, to me, the greatest folk singer alive today. Yeah. <laughs> His words are, holy mm. cow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm He's just excited deal. at my, in my later years, somebody who has loved folk music throughout my life. It's my go-to music. Uh, that there is such quality. Would you agree, Megan? Oh, I mean, you know, gorgeous. you're much younger than we are, but you, you see it. It, it's just quite amazing. It really is, and it, and I like that it's it's growing, and it's not it, it's growing in in such an organic way. It's it's through artists sharing, it's through things like this. You got it's it. Not that huge That's commercial true. nonsense where, where people are that falling exactly into right. like what other folks are doing. You're keeping it to yourselves, and you're and sharing it, but sharing it in such a way that it's reaching those of us who really need it. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. it. That's well, a that's great beautiful. point. That's a great point. Yes, it is. It's yes, not it the is. big studios that are making the decisions that this is the music we're going to play. It's just coming from, yeah. the, from people themselves without a big backer, without big companies. It's, it's a whole new, the industry that was isn't anymore. So now it's much more authentic, much more authentic. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, well, history kind of repeats itself, obviously. So, one, don't cheat at the World Series or a plague will hit you <laughs> every hundred <True>. years. <laughs> and then, uh, and every time we get a, every time we have a plague, women get the vote. Oh, come on, yeah. Oh, and, whoa. This is why and somebody gonna... cheats at baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jerry Springer, yes, you can yeah. only go so far, and then you just no, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it ruins it all. I did. It was such a nice moment. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, perfect. So nice talking with y'all. Yeah, well, really. thank right you. And we we really love it. Um, and you're gonna take us out on a song with that one, Mr. Jerry Springer, if we can turn his microphone back on and we can trust him to do so. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Willie right. T. Good. Yeah, See good night, y'all. Thank you. Well, I'm sitting here with Jerry Springer, and we're geared up for <laughs> opening day. When Vado hits a waff off dinger, and the cheers from the crowds and the Reds win the game. Yeah. I good night. I good night. Good night. Springer. Oh, sometimes the Reds win some games that please. 
but oftentimes it's the Yankee. <laughs> so I'll try sneak out the back door so you'll forget me anymore. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you. Thank you.